Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my plea come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips will pour forth praise, for you teach me your statutes. My tongue will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. Let your hand be ready to help me, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live and praise you, and let your rules help me. I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I forget not your commandments. Those are verses 169 through 176 of Psalm 119. Verses 145 through 176 are appointed for today as the psalm for the day, Wednesday, June the 30th, 2021. Thank you for listening to Faith Seeking Understanding. I'm your host, John Green. And so we, we're continuing our studies in the book of 1 Samuel and in Acts and also in the Gospel of Luke. And so today, if you remember that what we've done so far is is that, that the people asked for a king. Samuel got very upset because he felt like it was a rejection of him. The Lord told him, no, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And then he gave them exactly what kind of king they were going to have. And they said, yes, but we want a king because we want to be like the other nations. And so they got a king, and it's named Saul. So here we are, drawing towards the end of Samuel's life, and Samuel is now speaking to the people in the same way, for instance, that Moses and Joshua did. And what he has to say bears a lot of similarity with what Moses and Joshua said to the people as they were preparing to move on from leadership and, and um, towards their death, frankly. And, and so Samuel's doing the same thing. He says, Behold, I've obeyed your voice. And remember what we said about obey, obey the voice. You know, it, the only voice you're supposed to obey is, is God's voice. But here, remember, what's happened is God told him to obey their voice. And you see that a couple of places in, in Scripture, too. You see it actually with Abraham and Sarah, when Sarah insists that, um, that Moses or Abraham put away um, Hagar and Ishmael. He goes to the Lord, and the Lord says, No, listen to the voice of your wife here and do what she says. And here we get the same thing. Behold, I have obeyed your voice and all that you've said to me and have made a king over you. And he did it in accordance with God's will, who told him to obey the voice of the people and to give him a king. And then he obeyed the voice of God in telling him who the king was. So, and now behold, the king walks before you, and I am old and gray. And behold, my sons are with you. And remember, one of the reasons they gave for wanting a king was because Samuel was old and his sons, in their mind, were unfit to take his place as ruler and judge over Israel. And so they rejected, not Samuel, they rejected his sons, who we're told in Scripture were, were worthy of being rejected, frankly. He said, I've walked before you from my youth until this day. Here I am. Testify against me before the Lord and before his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Who have I defrauded? Who have I oppressed? From whose hand have I taken a bribe to blind my eyes with it? Testify against me, and I'll restore it to you. And they admit, you haven't done anything. You haven't done anything wrong. We're not accusing you of anything. And he said, the Lord is witness against you, and has anointed his witness this day, that you've not found anything in my hand. And they said, yep, he's, our, he's the witness. Yes, this is all true, Samuel. We're not, we're not, this is not about you. And he says, the Lord is my witness, who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now, if you look at that one statement right there, he points to Moses and Aaron. And what do we know from the study of Exodus? And what we know is, is that the people rejected them 
as well from time to time. And so how is he going to react to this? Because the reality is the people wanted a mediator. They needed a mediator. They were afraid to approach God. That's the reason that they told Moses, hey, why don't you do this? We're scared to death for what we see here on the mountain today and for what we hear here on the mountain today. So from now on, why don't you be our designated uh, intermediary between the people and God? And so he was. And so God accepted him in that role. And then what happens is they think Moses is dead because he doesn't come back down from the mountain. And they're afraid, not that God's not going to be with them, but that he is. And they don't have anybody to be between them and God. So they say, all right, make these gods to replace Moses because they're scared to death to come into the hands of the living God. Um, and that's not a bad thing. But the problem is, is that we, we constantly are trying to put something or somebody in between us and God. I had a guy who used to bother me to death at the gym. He would come and say, John, what's the, what's the word from the Lord today? And I would tell him what I had. And then he would tell me about all these uh, TV preachers that he listened to and told me what they had to say. And I finally asked him, Lord, do you ever actually listen to God on your own or do you always get it through another person? Because I don't really understand why you never say what your reflection on that is. It always comes through somebody else's mouth. And so, what you know, people blame Roman Catholics for that and say, well, you know, I don't need a pope and I don't need a priest. Well, the reality is you do. And you're proving it to me that you do because you constantly quote these other people. And you don't seem to ever have a reflection of your own, what God's saying to you specifically about that passage. So it's, it's, it's frustrating, but, but it's what we want and it's what we need. And God knows that we wanted a mediator and we all want one. And so he gave us one. And that's Jesus. And so our, our covenant with him is mediated through the blood of Jesus. So he becomes our mediator. We can go directly to the throne now because we know that we have an advocate there before the throne with the Father on our behalf. And so we come covered in the blood of Jesus, and that way we know we're safe, right, to come into the hands of the living God. So here, what, what um, Samuel is saying is, is that you've rejected me, <laughs> but you wanted somebody, and so you, you moved this guy in there, and, and I did what you asked me to do because God told me to. And so then he says, so then he, he gives him a sign. I'm going to give you a sign. Okay, so today's the day of the wheat harvest. Uh-huh. Well, we're going to have thunder and rain today, and it's going to spoil the harvest. And so he does, and that's exactly what happened. He, he uh, called upon the Lord, and it's exactly what happened. It thundered and rained that day, and the people feared the Lord and Samuel. And that's kind of the way some of this works, is, is that, that then there becomes this fear, not only of the Lord, but also of the one who is the intermediary, because there's something special about that one, because that person can go to the Lord on my behalf, and he comes back alive. They seem to have a relationship that I'm afraid to even think about having. So we, we keep our distance from God one way or another. And so then the people come to Samuel after that and say, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, but we've already added all to all our sins this evil, ask for ourselves a king. And it's essentially, it's, it's the same thing as a golden calf. That They need a mediator, and, and so they don't know what to do because these people keep dying, so we need somebody else. But, he's, but pray for us, your servants, to the Lord your God. Why don't you pray? 
But this is the way that it too often works. And so he says, don't be afraid. You've done all this evil. But don't turn aside from following the Lord. Serve him with all your heart. And don't turn aside after empty things that can't profit or deliver. They're empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for yourself, for himself. But he says, he won't reject you utterly because you're in covenant with him. But, but you can lose the land. And, and you can have exactly what happened to you, um, happened to the people in the wilderness, will happen to you. Um, and so you'll be in exile or whatever it is. You know, some of you may die as things happened in the, in the wilderness as well. So I transition this over to, to Jesus, right? So now we come in and he is our mediator and he's the one who's made peace and reconciliation between us and God through his sacrifice on the cross. We know that it was, it was accepted because he raised him from the dead. So now, though, here we come. The whole company of them, the, them is the Sanhedrin. They arose and brought him before Pilate. Why did they do that? Well, it's because under Roman law, they didn't have the authority to put anybody to death. It's whether the scripture said that you could stone somebody to death or not, you didn't have the freedom to do that in Rome. Romans executed that part of the law, that criminal law. And so they've got to come with some accusation. What did they convict him of yesterday? They convicted him of making himself equal with God by claiming to be the son of God, right? That was, that was what they talked about yesterday. But here, totally different charge when they come before Pilate because that's not enough. It, it, Pilate doesn't care about that. So they've got to make it now criminal against the state. And so it becomes, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. We know that's a lie. They tried to trick him into that one. And that's the one where he says, give me a denarius. Let me see it. Whose who's picture's on that? And they said, well, it's Caesar. And they said, well, then give, he said, give to Caesar what's Caesar's. He didn't forbid them from paying tribute to Caesar. That's a lie. And saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Show me that. Show me that. Show me where he said that anywhere prior to what we're getting ready to see in just a minute. Show me where he did that. That's not what he was claiming at all. And so Pilate asked, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered, you've said so. Yep, you've said it. Words are in your mouth, not mine. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and scribes, I find no guilt in this man. He's not claiming it. But he said, yes. You know, he said, you said it. But they were urgent, saying he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. Oh, so he spread it all through this whole region. Is that what you told me? Well, the good news is for Pilate, what he heard was Galilee. Because, well, that's somebody else's jurisdiction. I can kick that can down the road. So he, he said, are you a Galilee? And they said, yes, he is. And he said, well, then he's going to see Herod. So he sent him over to Herod. And Herod wanted to see him. That's the funny thing. Because he wanted to see him do magic tricks. He wanted to see him do signs and wonders. Now, Herod, remember, if you didn't know this, you're not going to remember it, but I'm going to tell you, Herod was a Jew. He was a non-observant Jew. That's the reason John the Baptist called him out on his marriage. He wouldn't have called him out if he had been Pilate. He called him out because he claimed to be a Jew. And so when Herod sees him, he, he was glad because he wanted to. So he questioned him, but Jesus made no answer. And the chief priests and scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. Not just, you know, I mean, these guys, they're urgent before, and now they're vehemently accusing him. And so Herod then treated him with contempt and mocked him then put him in splendid clothing and sent him back to Pilate. And after that, they became friends because they knew these people are crazy. So they, then, then before that, they had not gotten along. And, and so we see after the stoning of Stephen that they did carry out, 
that they spread out. And so the apostles at Jerusalem hear now that, that in Samaria, the people have received the word of God. So the apostles, remember, didn't leave Jerusalem. It was Philip, the deacon, who went down to Samaria and, and preached to them, and they heard it and received the message. And remember, we were told there was a man among them who had also been doing signs and wonders among the people, and his name was Simon, and Simon um, came to believe as well is what we were told. So when the apostles hear about the success of the preaching and the gospel down in Samaria, they send people there. Uh, they send Peter and John down there. And they came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for it had not yet fallen on them. He had not yet fallen on any of them, but they, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They laid hands on him and they received the Holy Spirit. You know, that, that's the pattern for the, the setup in, in the Anglican Church, in the... Um, in the Roman Catholic Church, certainly, in the Lutheran Church and in the Orthodox Church, is, is that the local pastor, priest, whatever you want to call them, does the baptism part of it. And then, the, then the bishop comes, and the bishop specifically prays for them to receive the Holy Spirit. So that, that pattern was established here in Acts 8 is where we get that idea. So they laid their hands on him. They received the Spirit. And Simon saw the Spirit was given through the laying on of the hands of the apostles. He offered the money and said, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord, that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you're in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. In other words, you haven't really repented. You have, you've not given up your past. What you're still doing is you're thinking that we're magicians like you and, and you want us to give you the magician's trick and I'm willing to pay you for the magician's inside knowledge on how to do this. You're not understanding. You're still not converted to Christ. You think this is some sort of magic and some sort of game and you got it wrong. And so Simon then immediately says, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you've said may come upon me. Sounds like the people, right? Pray, asking Samuel to pray for them. He, he, he hears it. He's convicted. We've got to be clear with people what it is they're coming into and, and what conversion actually means. And too often what we do is just baptize the past and, and say extend that forth into the present. Keep your priorities exactly the way they are don't change don't you know it's okay because we're just going to baptize you and move you forward and and we're going to not pay attention to life or attitude or anything else but but peter sees to the heart of this thing and sees what's going on with him it's not just the money he says there's more to it than that and so simon gets it and he receives the word from peter which sounds like an awful thing when he says it to him but but he receives it with with gratitude and humility and so now they testified and spoken the word of the Lord. They returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. So as they're leaving, they, they preach on the way back to Jerusalem. But they're headed back to Jerusalem shortly after they get this work done. But, but the reality is, is that we, we need not fear approaching God because we already have the mediator that we need. I don't need... You know, I don't need a priest to go before the Lord for me, but I do need people to pray for me. And that's what I've really seen and received over the last several months since Will's accident is, is that there's something special about knowing that people are praying for you. Because sometimes the reality is, is that you're deep in the midst of something and you can't really pray for yourself. You know, you're not you're just too burdened. 
to be able to pray effectively for yourself and to know that the body of Christ, whether that's in a church or beyond the church, is praying for you, means everything in the world for you because you know those petitions are going up before the throne of God on behalf of his people. And so there's, there, there is a, a necessity sometimes to have intermediaries, to have people praying for you and on your behalf. There's also a need, I believe, and, and Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this in, in the book Life Together, that when he had the illegal seminary in Nazi Germany, that what he did was he, he had his students, who were all men, um, confess their sins one to another. And so they found a trusted brother and they, they made their confession. And, and the reason wasn't that they could only get absolution if they went to the priest and then did the stuff the priest told them to do. No, it was actually this. He said, I, I caught myself confessing the worst possible sins in prayer to God and never really having a sense of how horrible the things that I did and thought were. And so he said it, it made those sins real when they had to say that to another person. So so there are reasons to do these things, but, but you don't need an intermediary between you and God. You have access to the throne of grace through the blood of Jesus into whose name you're baptized and whose confession you make of him. And so we don't need an intermediary, but we need one another. And that, that's an important distinction um, that, that me being a priest doesn't elevate my prayers in any way. Me being a brother is what truly matters in that. And, and so we need to, to make sure that when we give people titles, we don't invest them with something more than just that title for the function that they carry out.